1: I mean, the most interesting thing about this is obviously, like, steganography is not new, right? It's been used since the days of the Romans. It's been around for a long time, but typically you see it used with image files.
0: That's Eric Milam. He's VP of Threat Research and Intelligence at BlackBerry Silence. The research we're discussing today is titled Malicious Payloads Hiding Beneath
1: the Wave. And in this specific case... It was very interesting to see it used with a different file format in this specific case, a Wave audio file. So that really drew our attention right away and was something fairly interesting. There's not a lot of research out there. There are some discussions around it. I think some people have covered it, but not to the depth in which we wanted to go to within this research.
0: Let's start off with some basics here. I mean, I, I think most of us are probably at least somewhat familiar with what a wave file is. That's an audio file. It goes back a long way. It's a file format that's been around a long time.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's um, It definitely predates the MP3s and MP4s that we have these days. It's been around... Since the beginning of time, yeah, it's it's very interesting. I think the reason it was chosen, or what w- what we've come to believe is the reason it was chosen, is back then when this was created, there wasn't a lot of file integrity checking going on, and so mm. when you do something like Stego, you have to really understand the format so you don't break it. Right? Some file formats are definitely a lot more forgiving. Um, that's why you know, Stego in images is they normally use PNG. Uh, lack of integrity checking, just the ease of of leveraging that format. Same thing here with Wave. If they tried to do this, say within an MP3, there's file integrity checking, there's compression, there's all other kinds of things that have to go into it that could potentially break. So I think they kind of took the path of least resistance and picking the Wave file itself, and I think the file format really helped them, you know, make it a little bit easier on them.
0: Yeah, that's really an interesting insight. Well, let's go through here uh, together. How exactly did this work? It it wasn't just the WAV file standing on its own.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Like Every WAV file was coupled with a matching uh, loader file. So the way it works is the loader file is paired with this item, um, with this file, and when it runs, essentially, the loader then will look for that WAV file, grab and extract the items out of it, parse that into memory, into the same address space, and then um, execute the message payload that's within it.
0: And what's going on within the WAV file itself?
1: Or Are they spreading the useful data throughout the file? Yeah, there's a certain level of encoding that happens, obfuscation within that. I have to admit, I don't know the technical details around that part. So mm-hmm. essentially, yeah, what they're doing is they're leveraging empty space or areas within that file format in order to put these malicious bits in there that can then be extracted. And the interesting thing was, as I was pointing to earlier, they didn't actually break the file format. The WAV files actually played, one played music and one played white noise. So that means they had a really good understanding of where they could put things, the file structure itself and, and how they could leverage and get the items back out of it.
0: Yeah. And again, very similar to what we've heard about folks doing with image files, where Mm -hmm. if you didn't know any better, you wouldn't know that there was anything wrong with the file at all.
1: Yeah, that's correct. In fact, we did some research around APT32 and Ocean Lotus not that long ago where they used PNG files and they used encoding within the RGB to hide a payload and be able to extract a payload. So similar technique, just a different file format.
0: Well, uh, there were um, three basic categories that you all cover here in the research. Why don't we go through those Mm -hmm. together one by one? Sure. So the first one employed some steganography to decode and execute a file. What was going on with that one? A PE loader?
1: Yeah. So the PE loader, the way it works, uh, that goes back to what we're talking about with the coupled file. So there's, essentially two different files that were placed on these systems. So the first one is a PE file, which we'll call the loader, which knows how to access the WAV file, the specific WAV file, and extract what needs to be extracted from that in order to either install the backdoor, or in another instance, we were able to find some crypto mining software as well. So we had both shellcode and crypto mining. So that loader would would be matched with the WAV file. So those two both exist then on the endpoint. And when that loader is run, it's able to, to grab that wave file again and extract that show code into memory and then provide a, um, access back to the command and control server for you know additional nefarious activities.
0: It would seem to me like the loader itself could be the thing that kind of gives away the game. A wave file gets through unnoticed, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. hey, what's this loader or what, what's this mysterious file here doing on my,
1: my system that turns out to be the loader? Sure. And potentially those are the the ways where a lot of things get caught, right? So the difference being that the loader is a, a portable executable in this case, and the WAV file is, you know, as we talked about in the research, a benign file that you would never expect to have any malicious intent behind it. So when you look at things like the loader, there's different things associated with it, different characteristics. Obviously, if it's something that's never been seen before, unless you're using something like machine learning, you might not ever detect it. So hmm. The way in which we look at files that could potentially be benign, if you think about a loader, a lot of times those are largely written to bypass any level of security. They're very kind of simplistic in which they just go out and download or pull down additional information. In this case, the loader was simply meant to read another file. So there might not really be at first glance or first blush any specific malicious intent or anything that uh, might be found around that. So what we tend to do in those types of situations within BlackBerry silence is we leverage a technical technique using machine learning that, that is referenced as centroids. It's a technical term around basically just really building a specific model for catching items. So we're able to do something like build a specific model around this loader that even if potentially it's not deemed malicious, we're able to actually still find it, catch it, analyze it and what that also allows us to do is as these attackers evolve these techniques change these loaders if the variance isn't too great we can continue to catch those as they even adjust and evolve
0: now do the two files typically show up on your system at the same time is there any attempt to put a time gap between the installation of the two or or does that not really matter in this case
1: no, it doesn't necessarily matter in this case. The the only thing that matters is, again, they're a matched pair: the loader and the right. wave file. So, they both have to be on the system for this to happen. You can't have one loader with a different wave file. They're they're really dependent on each other. So, yeah, they tend to be downloaded simultaneously. We didn't experience anything, at least in what we were able to analyze, where say it was uh, something that was UPX packed or packed in some way that then ended up on the system and was you know, extracted for the two, the way we analyzed it pointed to the fact that there was probably some type of backdoor connection to the command and control server. And then uh, those files were then downloaded simultaneously. I see.
0: Now, the second category of loader was using uh, an algorithm to hide some shell code. What was going on with that one? Mm -hmm.
1: The attackers are using the Metasploit framework shellcode. And so obviously when you're using shellcode, the goal is to maintain a connection, to keep your backdoor going, your command and control responses and execution. And so this is how these attackers were able to stay on these systems for a really long time. I think the main thing too, that I wanna point out is like, when you use something like a backdoor, you're obviously targeting. And when you couple that with something like hiding this within a WAV file, Like the main focus is trying to stay as hidden for as long as possible. So they definitely believe that this is a this is an adversary that is really looking to stay inside an environment, exfil as much data as they can and continue to move throughout the environment.
0: And then the third one was using an algorithm to hide some PE
1: files. Yeah, there was like a crypto miner that was being used, Monero crypto miner, which we had some conversations around this. It's easy to say that, OK, since it's a, a crypto miner, they're probably using this to just go do some mining, make some money. Maybe they've exfilled everything they need from a system or maybe they've identified a system and they just want to make some easy cash. But the other side of that, too, is possibly that these attackers want to fire off red herrings in other areas of the organization. So. That the focus ends up happening on that so let's say they use something that's a crypto miner that might be more easily recognized or more easily caught or identified quickly and let's say they're using that in a completely different part of the organization in which they're actually attacking and exfilling data it's an attempt to move the attention of the SOC and other individuals to that and to addressing that so we're kind of torn between those two but definitely interesting for sure
0: yeah. Any patterns that you're seeing in terms of who this seems to be focused at, both in terms of groups and geographically?
1: We looked at that. They're definitely not targeting an individual. If they're going to spend the amount of time they they did here to hide and obfuscate, again, using a WAV file, something that no one would ever think is malicious. They really put a lot of thought into this. They wanted to stay hidden as long as they could, which really means that they're targeting enterprises and organizations We haven't seen a trend at this point as to specifically, you know, a vertical like healthcare or auto industry, but we're definitely keeping an eye on them to see, you know, where they end up going from here.
0: And in terms of detection and protecting yourself against this, what are your recommendations there?
1: Since this payload is, you know, it's loaded into memory, so it's really only detectable in that space. You know, it's it's easy to understand or to analyze a system that, that's that's uh, being crypto mined by some of the things that are happening on it. Most easily, usually the CPU or GPU is is maxed out for a consistent amount of time. But that's dealing with the symptoms of it. So, in order to really handle this specific attack, you'd have to have something that is looking in the memory space, understands what's going on in that memory space, and is able to make a decision or a determination or to take preventative steps from analyzing what's going on in that memory space.
0: It's really a fascinating uh, dilemma in my mind Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. that, you know, you have these legacy files that have been around for for decades, these these Mm -hmm. legacy file formats. Mm -hmm. And I think we sort of categorize them in our minds as being completely benign, partly because they're sort of tried and true. Those of us in certain Industries like podcasting, you know, we're slinging around wave files all day long and not thinking twice about it. I wonder if if it's time for a little bit of recalibration when it comes to how we think about these legacy files.
1: I mean, absolutely. Obviously, as time goes on, things get better, right? Things change again, like uh, MP3 has been around also for a very long amount of time. You know, there's also OGG files. There's a whole bunch of different file formats that can be leveraged. And I, I definitely think that when we look at something that, you know, I, I hate to say is so old because I'm probably just as old as it, <laughs> but but something that has been around, right? We, we don't think about security when it comes to these things because they're just so as you mentioned, a normal part of every day and haven't really been tied in the past to anything that would be malicious, right? Right. So I don't want to call it a wake-up call, but it's definitely something where you look at that and go, wow, yeah, maybe I should put up a little bit more, uh, be a little bit more concerned around some of these, right? And just maybe use a little bit more uh, operational security per se when handling these.
0: Yeah, I mean, just as you said at the outset, just that these file formats internally don't have the, the type of integrity checking that we've come to expect from modern file formats. And, and perhaps the very fact that they operate in that way means that either they deserve a closer look or even, you know, maybe it's time to, I don't know, recommend that these formats maybe get retired for something a little more modern.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would agree 100%. I mean, it's not like we don't have anything better out there, right? Right. I mean, getting rid of WAV files, uh, I often. It's obviously, hard to imagine, right? Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like, but yeah, and I don't know how widely they're still used and leveraged. You know, in my small world, it's all about compressed files because I remember back in the days of copying DVDs and, and, yeah, um, yeah or ripping the DVDs and it was a wave file and it was like ridiculously huge, right? Mm-hmm. For back then, obviously. And then when MP3s came out, you're like, wait, it's a tenth of the size? Okay. right. So, right. and that, I mean, that was back at least in the 90s. So, it, mm-hmm. we're looking at 20 years. So, Maybe it is time to just be like, "Hey, we're not going to leverage that anymore."
0: The funny part of it is that in the interim, file storage capacity has become so crazy, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, that, that it's, it's sort of meaningless. Sure. That a large wave file doesn't—it's not really a barrier anymore. Yeah, um, I, you know, for, for yeah. in professional audio production, I mean, Wave is, is to this day is one of the the industry standards because it's. Because it's uncompressed, you know, right. it's, uh, and so ubiquitous. So, yeah. what an interesting thing to have to think about.
1: Yeah, I mean, this research really does beg the question of the things we thought were safe. Now we have to, you know, we do have to put kind of an eye to and, and the things maybe, you know, we always say if you don't build something with security in it from the get go, it's hard to strap security onto it afterwards. Right. And mm-hmm. obviously this would fall into that realm. Right. No, I don't think anybody ever considered that. And again, it's still fairly new to see this, but it begs the question as to I mean, how long was maybe this going on before we actually identified it right across, right. you know, across the globe across the population.
0: That's Eric Milam from BlackBerry Silence. The research is titled Malicious Payloads Hiding Beneath the Wave. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense.